In the early 1990s, some of you don't remember that, but James Peterson and Peter Kim co-authored a book uh, called The Day America Told the Truth. The book was a result of survey given to a thousand, uh, you know, hopefully a scientific sampling of people who were asked to answer a number of moral and ethical questions with complete honesty, and they were, they were guaranteed absolute anonymity. One of those questions was this, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Think about that a minute. What would you be willing to do? Now, early 90s, $10 million meant more than it means today. Maybe I could say, what would you be willing to do for $20 million? But $10 million still seems like a whole lot more money than I'll ever breathe on in my entire life. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? 25% of the respondents said they would be willing to abandon their families for $10 million. Go off and leave husband and wife, children, all family. It's like complete witness protection from everybody. Never see them again for $10 million. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week. 7% said they would be willing to murder a stranger for $10 million. Now, a lot of other responses, but I just use that to illustrate the fact that money has an amazing hold on people. We, we often value our lives based on income and money and stuff that we can buy and stuff that we can own. And by the way, there seems to be very little difference between Christians and non-Christians in the greed department. We often forget this really important passage of Scripture which says the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Some in their greediness for money have gotten away from God, forgotten all about God, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, Scripture teaches us not to love money, but the fact of the matter is we need a little money, don't we? I mean, you have to eat, right? Uh, there's utility bills and, 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 and car payments and house payments and, and insurances of all kinds and food and gas and clothes and Golf and fishing and hunting and that, you know all that kind of important stuff, crafting, whatever it is that, that you enjoy doing, we do need money, but we're not supposed to love money. Well, we're in this series. We're getting back to this series. We took two weeks off from it, and it's called The Business of Living, Biblical Principles for the Day-to-Day. -day. Now, if you could think back a few weeks, we started with this idea of God's plan for man or God's plan for humans, which is he owns everything and he loans it. I don't care what it is, he owns everything. Uh, the person you love the most, the job that you have, the ability that you have to move your arm up and down, the car you drive, the house you live in, I don't care whose name is on the title, uh, God owns everything. We manage it for him and there's benefit for us in that greater benefit than if we owned it ourselves. So that was the first thing we looked at. And then the second thing we talked about was living a life 
without regret. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? Uh, and if you want to be remembered in a certain way, then start doing the things that would cause you to be remembered that way. About three weeks ago, we, we talked about uh, managing your job or your career, which is important to everybody, uh, even if you're retired. <clears throat> you know, uh, we talked about that. And, and we've been using this word stewardship through this. Don't let that scare you too much. Uh, but we've been using this word stewardship, and, and we, we define stewardship like this. Stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care, and, and that's for us, it's our whole life. It's everything about us. Everything about us is, is something that God entrusts to our care, and so we're going through things. We've got a couple of more Sundays after today, but today's subject is your finances or how to act your wage. Uh, managing your finances. We all have some amount of money. We all have some income of some kind. Uh, and managing that is extremely important. Uh, and I'm going to talk about some sensitive things this morning. And I'll just tell you along with the telephone solicitor, I'm not trying to sell you anything. All right? I'm not trying to force anything on you, especially if you're not a Christian uh, this morning, although I think these principles that I'm on are just kind of general things that everybody should do. But managing money is an important uh, part of life. Most of us need some help. Even if we've got all the money we need, most of us need some help in this area. And Scripture has a lot to say about money and money management. Those who count such things, and, and I haven't, I just take their word for it, say that Jesus mentioned money more than 300 times as recorded in scripture, that more than half of his parables either deal with money or money management. Todd gave me a podcast to listen to, and the guy leading the podcast said, there's two areas where most people disregard Jesus's instructions, and those two areas are sex and money. The church is against the sex, and all it wants is my money. All they want is my money. That's the idea that people have about uh, about those two areas. Well, first of all, the church isn't against either one of those. The church isn't against the first. God, uh, God designed it, and we're going to talk about the money part today. The, the consequences of mismanaging our money can be staggering. We're aware of the fact that a very, very high percentage of Americans reach what we would consider retirement age without enough money to survive. We're, we're aware of the fact that thousands of children go to bed hungry in our country every single night. We're aware of the fact that our gotta have it now mentality often gets us in trouble. But sometimes we don't consider the fact that mismanaging our money also separates us from God, keeps us from worshiping God the way that we should worship him, keeps us from having God in the place where he should be. Most of us assume that our money problems stem from not earning enough money, and sometimes that's true. But the truth of the matter is that more often than not, we earn enough money to meet our needs and even some of our wants. Not all of our wants, that's impossible. But some of our wants, the real problem is that we make our money all about us and end up spending more than we earn. That's the problem, right? And that includes people of all ages and all wages. Even retired people can spend more money 
uh, than what, what, they're, what they should be spending. The real problem is that we violate what God says about money and about finances and about, uh, about material things. Think about this. The main problem is not how much we earn. You can earn a lot, you can earn a little and still be violating God's principles. But how we manage, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about management, right? We're talking about stewardship. We're talking about it all belongs to God. And so what are we gonna do with what belongs to God? Some people may have a positive cash flow and have saved plenty of money for retirement or emergencies or whatever and still be violating what God says about finances. So it's not all about how much money you have. Scripture does not say the lack of money is the root of all kinds of evil things, does it? It says the love of money. So if you lack money, that's not necessarily the, the, you know, the worst thing in all the world. So today we're gonna to talk about money management, particularly five principles for financial freedom simple stuff. We're just going to look at various verses, for the most part, the words of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. The Bible calls Solomon the wisest and one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. And these principles from the book of Proverbs are extremely simple and you know them already. And if you're doing them, then great. If you're not, let's work on these things together. So by the way, uh, to the extent that you apply these principles, you and I can experience uh, release from financial stress. We can, we can experience financial freedom. <clears throat> Several, a number of years ago, uh, I, you know, I'd ridden a motorcycle when I was young and then I sold it because I had to buy a house and kids and had kids and that kind of stuff. When I got back into it, I bought this DVD and it's called Ride Like a Pro. And uh, it said in this DVD, uh, here are these simple principles. And if you will practice these principles a lot, you're going to be a lot better writer. And, and if you practice these principles a little bit, you're going to be a little better of a writer. And I would say the same thing about the five principles I'm going to give you today. If you practice these principles a lot, you know, if you make them a major part of your life, you're going to get a lot better. And if you practice these principles just a little bit, you'll get a little bit better. But but, uh, uh, you know, praying and wishing for financial freedom and financial success is not enough. So here's five principles. The first one is this, live by a budget. I knew that. You knew that. Everybody knows that, right? Live by a budget. We don't do it, some of us, many of us, but we know it's true. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 21 and verse 5. The plans of the diligent. Now, a diligent is a a person is a person that not only makes a plan, but works the plan. It's real easy to make a plan and then not do anything with it. It sounds really good, and then I'll just I make myself feel better for a little while, and I'll just go on and do whatever I want to do. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, that is, having sufficient, having enough to meet your needs. But those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty, that is, when you try to cut corners and get, and get stuff in a hurry, it leads to poverty. The New Living Translation puts it like this. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Uh, takes work, it takes application of principles. 
Now, we get scared by this word budget, but a budget is just this. A budget is simply a financial plan. It means you write down or you, uh, you enter in your computer or whatever what your income is and what your expenses are, and, and then you designate a certain amount of your income for giving, and you designate a certain amount of your income for saving, and then you designate a certain amount of your uh, uh, income for housing and transportation and clothing and entertainment and those kinds of things. Now, most of us are not sure what some of our expenses are, so oftentimes when you get started with this, now some of you have been doing this for years, uh, but often when you get started with this budgeting thing, the best thing to do is just for a month, write down, enter everything you spend, and then you'll say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I spent $500 a month at Starbucks uh, or buying ice cream uh, or whatever. Uh, you know, it might be, I, I shouldn't be doing that. I'm going to have to reduce that some. So learn what those things are. Uh, planning your spending is, is easy. We just, we just don't do it. We just kind of spontaneously buy stuff and spend stuff. So do yourself a favor, track your spending, see where your money is going, and then establish a budget. A budget brings freedom, not bondage. A lot of times we say, oh man, I don't want to be restricted like that. A budget brings freedom, not bondage bondage. So live by a budget. Second thing is this, save for the future. Save, live by a budget and save something. Proverbs 21, 20, Solomon said this, there is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. That is, uh, wise people save up some stuff. Now we usually put it in the bank or invest it in, you know, in something. Uh, but, uh, uh, then it was material stuff that they gathered together. So there's desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. That is, the foolish person just spends everything he gets, uses up everything he gets. New Living Translation puts it like this. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Wise people save. Foolish people spend everything that they get. Uh, you shouldn't spend everything you get regardless of what your stage in life is. Financial advisors will you know, often say, try to save a certain percentage of your income. I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm not a financial uh, advisor at all. But uh, I, I just think if you just, if you just saved 10% of $25,000 a year, you know, I'd be putting $31 a week uh, in uh, some sort of an interest-bearing account. And if you invest the right per place, you you can still make seven or eight or nine percent on your money, you know, uh, right now. If you made eight percent and you just put $31 a week in the bank over a 25-year period, you would have invested $3,900, not much, but it would be worth $116,969.50. That's 25 years. That's a while. It's not going to happen in 25 days. Not going to happen in one year, two years, or five years, but, but putting a little aside, folks, that's godly. That's, that's biblical. That's scriptural. It, to put a little bit aside, it will add up. It will help you de develop a good habit. Now, there's a bad habit that comes from that, too. We call that hoarding, but it can help you develop a good habit of putting things away. And by the way, many employers provide some sort of payroll deduction plan and they will, they will match what you do. Take advantage of that. Man, how could you not take advantage of something like that if you have an employer that does that? Uh, so that if disaster strikes, 
uh, if, old, if you live long enough to get old, then you're going to have something uh, to fall back on. $30 doesn't seem like a lot, does it? But little by little, it will grow. So five principles. The first one is this, live by a budget. The second one is save for the future. And then the most important one in the middle, put God first in your finances. God first in your finances. Well, I'm pretty good on number one and number two. I think I'll just let number three slide. My money, I'll do with it whatever I want to do. It doesn't work that way. The, one of the first super rich people that came out of the Industrial Revolution in the United States of America was a guy by the name of John D. Rockefeller. And then there was two and three and all that kind of stuff afterwards. John D. Rockefeller. Uh, but anyway, when asked the secret of his success, he supposedly said this. Save 10%, tie 10%, live on the rest. Save 10%, tie 10%, live on 80%. Now, the uh, earlier in life, we can uh, do something like that. I don't quite agree with that, but something like that, the better our finances will be. There, there's two big problems with that 10, 10, 80 uh, uh, suggestion. The first one, I'll tell you the second one in a minute, but the first one <clears throat> is that it indicates that 10% is all you should ever save and 10% is all you should ever give. And, and I think we can go beyond that in both of those areas. But that's one of the problems, but still a percentage, a percentage, a percentage in those three areas is pretty solid and sound advice. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon points out the benefits and rewards of putting God first. He owns it all, right? He loans it to us. He gives us the ability to do what we do. If we have any talents, any abilities, they come from God. So Proverbs 3, this is familiar to a lot of you. Verse 9 says this, honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor God with every possession, everything that you have, honor God. In other words, put God first in everything. And with the first fruits of all your increase, uh, honor God with the first part of everything that you, uh, that you increase each week or month or whatever. Uh, verse 10 says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I don't know about you, I don't have a, bar a barn or a vat, uh, either one. Uh, some of you have barns, they're just glorified sheds. <laughs> you know, they're not really barns. But, but uh, in, the day, in the days of agrarian societies, uh, especially uh, in Israel, it was how much did you have stored up in your barns? And, and when you uh, pressed out your grapes, how much wine or grape juice did you have? So you had barns and vats. And for us, it's just, uh, uh, just uh, the increase that we have, the, the way that our lives are blessed, the stuff that we have, the money that we have invested, those kinds of things. Now, there are three principles, very quickly, that come from that passage. The first one is this, honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor means exalt the Lord with your possessions. Praise God with your possessions. Let your possessions be a credit to God first with 100%. Now, that doesn't mean you have to give everything to the poor. Doesn't have to mean you have to give everything to the church. Uh, you can take a vacation for the honor and for the glory of God. You can buy a house for the honor and for the glory of God. You can buy a car for the honor and glory of God. There's probably some things you shouldn't do with your money that you can't do for the honor and glory of God. But 100% of everything you possess should honor God. Now, what that means is that God's got to be up here and everything else has got to be down here. It can't be just this one little thing here. Well, I'm just going to have this for me. You know, this is for me and God, everything else over there, that's for God. So that's principle number one. Principle number two is this, first fruits. Honor the Lord with all the first fruits of your increase. 
Uh, first fruit speaks of honoring God with the first part, right off the top. If we want to honor God, we don't wait for what's left over. We give God right off the top of everything that we get. Salary, income from investments, all that kind of thing. Now, I said there were two problems with Rockefeller's 10-10-80 plan. Uh, and that has to do with the give, save, spend because at the bottom there because Rockefeller said save, give, spend. I think that's the wrong order. So that's, that's the second problem. Uh, most of us spend, save, give. That is, we spend... And if we got a little bit left over, we, we save. And, and if there's anything left over from that, we throw that in God's direction, which is the opposite of the way we should treat money. That says, I trust money more than I trust God. That says my stuff owns me rather than me owning my stuff. That keeps us from worship. Go back to 1 Corinthians, that scripture that we read to start with. That keeps us from worship. You cannot worship God the way you should and say, well, this is part of my life over here, God. This is mine here, and I'm just going to come lift my hands up before you on Sunday, but this part over here, this belongs to me, and I'm going to do with it as I, cho I choose. The real priority is right there. Give first, save second, spend third. Now, I have violated that in my life. Uh, I have failed to save in my life. I know that. Uh, never was a priority, you know. Uh, my dad didn't teach me anything about saving money uh, uh, when I was growing up. And there have been times in my life when, when I, I, I didn't save, I didn't, uh, that I spent more than I have. But the true priority is supposed to be give, save, and then spend. And here's the third principle. Third principle is this. Your barns are going to be filled up. Your vats are going to be filled up. Remember that. Third principle is if you honor God with the first two, if, if everything you have, you say, God, this is whatever you want me to do. Here, I'm going to, you know, uh, God says enjoy it, you know, and all those kinds of things. But if, if that's my attitude and if I take the, off the top of my increase and give it to God, if I'll do that, if you honor God with the first two, he will bless you and multiply your efforts. Solomon, by the way, Remember that, give, save, spend. Solomon also taught that honoring God uh, with your material stuff includes sharing it with other people when they're in need. Very important part. Proverbs 14, 31 says this, he, oppress, he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. He who, he who re oppresses the poor turns it back on God. But he who honors God has mercy on the needy. Have you ever noticed that stingy people never seem to have enough? They may have more than you have, but they never seem to have enough. They always need just a little bit more. <clears throat> and, and that they, they tend to be unhappy and self-absorbed people. On the other hand, generous people never seem to go without their needs being met. And they're, they're usually joyful and, and have a loving spirit about them. God says that's the way it is. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty four says, there is one who scatters. That is, there's the kind of person who, who shares what he has, uh, uh, plants with others what he has, and yet he increases more, yet he always seems to have enough. He's giving stuff away all the time, but always seems to have enough. And there's one who withholds more than is right. Now, you, you got to withhold some, right? You save, that's saving. 
but there's, there's the one who withholds more that is right. That is hoarding, hoarding. God doesn't give you everything so that you can keep it. A lot of what God gives you is so you can give it away. God had a purpose in that. So there's the generous person versus the hoarder. There's one who, who scatters but seems to have enough. There's one who hoards everything but leads to poverty. I read a statement made by a businessman. He said, I'm generally a cheapskate, but there are three areas that I've learned you have to be generous. The first one he mentioned was paying taxes. The second was tithing. And the third was paying employees. Paying taxes, tithing, and playing, paying employees. He says, if you try to cut corners in any of those areas, it will come back to haunt you. Let me give you three reasons that you should tithe or give to God. Three reasons. Number one is this, to show gratitude for the past. When you give to God, you take it off the top, give it to God. You say, God, here's what I, I, I realize. I worship you because you've given, you love me. And you've given me the ability and the opportunity to make money. You're the one who provides everything. And to show my appreciation for all that you have done, I take from the top and I return that to you. So to show gratitude for what God's done in the past. Second is to keep our priorities straight for today. Money is a barometer of your spiritual condition, the way you use your money. It's a barometer of your spiritual condition. Uh, I put up, if you, in, your, uh, in your bulletin, there's an outline of today's message. And, and, and there's a couple of verses that don't come from Proverbs. I'm just listed at the very top. They come from the book of Deuteronomy. It's something that God says to Israel. But look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So, so whatever I give you, uh, you, you give 10% of that. They would take that to, to the tabernacle or take that to the temple and would give it to God. Now, verse 23 starts by telling them the, some of the details of how they would do that. But the very end of verse 23, it says this. This is why you do that, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That you might put God, that you might worship God, that you might put God in the right place, that you might keep your priorities straight. Doing this will teach you to always fear your God. If you give to God regularly, and when your increase comes in, you take off the top and you give that to God, it teaches you to put God where he should be. Giving naturally reminds us that God comes first. Now, I said to you a while ago that... <clears throat> that Gene and I have not been good all the time with finances, but because of the way we grew up, there's never been a time from the beginning of our marriage that we didn't give God more than 10% of whatever our income was. Well, you get paid by the church. Of course, you know, you're supposed to do that. Hey, everybody gets their money somewhere, right? Uh, and and uh, uh, some people think pastors don't give. Uh, but Gene and I have never given such a small amount as 10%. We like to be over 20% in our giving back uh, to God. Now, I can say this. It's never been a burden on us to give to God. Never, ever. Uh, sometimes it's been a burden to pay taxes, you know, because I have to pay estimated taxes. So I have to hold my taxes and hold my Social Security back and pay it on a quarterly basis and be sure I get enough paid in. Man, you don't get that paid in and you get a few thousand dollar bill at the end of the year, that'll shake your foundation 
for you just a little bit. So I, I, I can say that, you know, I bought a, a, a number of cars in my life uh, and, and uh, uh, there's been times when making a car payment or making a house payment has been a burden. But giving to God and, and sharing with others, it's always been a joy. Never, ever been a burden. Keep your priorities. It helps keep your priorities straight for today. And then the third thing is this. It, it, it helps to demonstrate our faith for tomorrow. When I, I take off the top, before I pay my bills or anything else, which is the way we've just always done it, uh, before we buy the groceries, let's take off the top. This is what I promised God I'd give to God. What it says is, God, I trust you to take care of me. I'm not going to try to do this on my own because I'm bad at it. I'm bad at taking care of myself. I trust you to care for me to provide all my needs. And so rather than keeping this money for myself, rather than investing this money in my retirement, I'm going to give this to you because it belongs to you anyhow. I'm sure if I was to go up to Connor right now and say, I got $1,000, if you'll just, I'll give to you if you'll just give me 100 of it back. He'd snap that up in a heartbeat, you know. What a deal. And that's what giving says. Three reasons we should tithe to show gratitude for the past, to keep our priorities straight for today, and to demonstrate our faith for tomorrow. So budget, save, put God first. Here's number four. We'll do four and five pretty quickly. Avoid debt, especially consumer debt, credit card debt. I mean, you have to say that. We, uh, uh, what if... You, get the, you ever get these letters in the mail that says, congratulations, you've been, you have been pre-approved to become a slave. Just fill this out, send it in in the prepaid envelope, or get online. And starting the 15th of next month, slavery will be a part of your life. That's what it says in the invisible ink that comes with all those credit card uh, stuff. And, you know, my, my phone goes off all the time. It's credit card people, you know, trying to, you can't get away from people on your cell phone anymore. Uh, but that's all, it's, a, it's an introduction to slavery. Uh, Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor. Rich, rich people rule. And the borrow is, borrower is servant to the lender. I don't have the latest statistics and it really doesn't matter, but millions of Americans spend billions of dollars every year they can't afford to pay back. Uh, you can buy almost anything with three easy payments or 10 easy payments or 60 easy payments or 30 years of easy payments. Now I'll say this, buying is easy. Not making a payment for 90 days, that's easy. I have never made an easy payment in my entire life, never. Every payment is a little bit difficult. There are scores of commercials that say, use our credit card to buy the biggest, the newest, and the most advanced, and you'll be happy. It's a lie. You will not be happy. It's destructive to say, what's the biggest house I can buy? What's the biggest car I can buy? What's, what's the biggest car, credit card payment I can, I can afford to make? In the long run, we're better off to avoid consumer debt. debt. Uh, I read about this uh, one financial advisor. Of course, this goes back a ways because uh, there are ways to get around this now, but he said you, you should take your credit cards and fill up a bowl with water and take your credit cards and drop them in the bowl of water and stick that bowl in the freezer and freeze your credit cards inside of, uh, of that bowl. Uh, and then if you're tempted to use them, you've got to take the time to thaw it out before you can get to your credit card. 
And maybe by that time you'll realize it wasn't the best thing to do to start with. He said it worked pretty well. He had one lady that was using uh, that method and she wanted to do it so bad that, that uh, one day that she took the bowl out, stuck it in the microwave so she could uh, thaw it out quicker. The only problem is that it warped her credit card and she wasn't used, able to use it anyway. So maybe, maybe that was a good thing. It's not a sin to have a credit card. I got a couple, you know, for different reasons. One for business, one for personal. Uh, not a sin to have a credit card. Use it wisely, but don't do this. Do not use a credit card as a substitute for God's provision. You know, God said, I'll take care of you. Well, maybe he meant I should use my Visa card or my American Express card or my MasterCard or something like that. Be careful. So easy today just to circumvent God's provision. I'll just take care of this myself. Get rid of them if you can. Start paying them off if you can. Uh, if, you, if you're like most Americans and you've got more than you can pay off right now, uh, uh, if you've got more than one credit card that you're carrying a balance on, uh, pay off the, the one with the lowest balance first and then work your way on the, up the line on those credit cards. Uh, pay more than the minimum. Uh, uh, be really careful about what else you might put on that credit card. And above all, do this. Trust God. Don't get discouraged and don't give up. Uh, because if you put it in God's hands and do it God's way, uh, nothing may seem different to start with, but if you'll just stick with God, he will help you out in a way that you thought was impossible. One more thing. Live by a budget, save for the future, put God first, avoid debt. And last thing is this, don't expect money to make you happy. Money will not make you happy. Uh, pastor that I was reading a story that a pastor read, uh, wrote he was on an airplane he met a guy by the name of Mark and uh, uh, three years before Mark had been totally broke and his eight-year-old Honda got repossessed uh, didn't know what he was doing so as a last-ditch effort and we I don't think anybody would recommend this he joined a multi-level marketing company began re recruiting people he must have been really good at it and people were really stupid that were under him but uh, within four months he was making three thousand dollars a week and within a year, he was making $10,000 a week. The big surprise for Mark was that it didn't solve his problems. Before, he was poor and miserable, and, and then he became rich and miserable. And losing everything of value that he had, his wife decided he'd make enough money to pay alimony, so she divorced him. His, his family all wanted to borrow money from him. His friends all turned against him because he wouldn't give them uh, money. And so Mark fell into a deep depression because for so many years he thought money was going to bring him happiness. Instead, it brought him unhappiness. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. It is, let me try that half million dollars a year. I believe I could be happy on that. You know, if I just had this little bit of money right here, take care of that, I would be happy. But money does not bring happiness. Uh, we think we're going to be the exception to the rule, but that's just an absolute rule. Here's what Solomon said. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 11 and uh, I'm just editing this and going through, you know, not reading all the words, but it starts like this. Solomon, remember, wealthy, wise, uninhibited in any way whatsoever. I made my works great. I built myself houses. I acquired male and female servants. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures, so I became great and excelled more than all who were before me 
in Jerusalem. Solomon was king. Whatever, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Anything I saw, if I wanted it, I got it. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Anything I wanted to do, I tried it. I didn't care what it was. Uh, he was immune from everything. He could do anything he wanted to do. Then I looked on all the works that my hands on, uh, had done. I looked back over everything I had tried and everything I had accumulated. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity, useless, and grasping for the wind, trying to get a hold of something that you cannot get a hold of. There was no profit under the sun. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here's human nature. No matter how much you make, your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. Always, I don't care how much. Person that can buy anything there's something that he or she cannot buy. You know, something that they want that cannot be bought. You've heard the cliche about the guy who, who uh, worked so many hours, he lost his health trying to gain wealth, and then he spent all of his wealth trying to get his health back again. That seems to be the way it goes. Although we must have money to survive in this world, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money, how you use it that's, that, that counts. Nothing wrong with that. If we look to money for happiness, it will leave us empty and unsatisfied. If you have a lot or little, money will not satisfy. Now, we'll tell you this. If you follow the principles and you got enough money in the bank to pay your bills, that's a pretty good feeling. You know, I'm not saying there aren't some pretty good feelings involved with having the right amount of money. But money will not bring you happiness. Money will let you down. Money will not fulfill you. Here's what... Solomon said, Proverbs 23, 4, do not overwork to be rich. You have to determine what that is, right? Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, own understanding, cease. Stop. You know, don't work all the time. That's what he's saying here. New Living Translation says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Sometimes you have to work extra hours, you know? Sometimes you, you have to, you know, go and go and go and go and go. I, I understand that. You have to be wise enough to know when to stop. Say, no, I can't. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm losing my, my marriage. I'm losing my family. I'm losing my health. I'm losing my mind. You have to know when to quit. Instead of looking to wealth for, for, for fulfillment, look to God. So five things. We're finished. Live on a budget. Save for the future. God first. Put God first in everything. Avoid debt. Don't think money's going to make you happy because it will not. Whether you have a lot or have a little, live by these principles. Control your money rather than your money controlling you. And if you do that, you'll experience something that few Americans ever experience, which is financial peace. It's available. Remember that DVD I told you I bought about motorcycle riding? Uh, Ride like a pro. It said, if you'll follow these principles and you practice and practice and practice, you will be among the top 2% of motorcycle riders in the country. Most people don't know how to ride. Well, I'll say this to you. I don't know about being in the top two. You, I'm not saying you're going to be in the top percent of having money and your income because God doesn't promise riches to everybody. But I tell you what, what I can say, you'll be in the top percent of satisfaction, of fulfillment, 
of anybody in the country if you follow these principles. Above all, remember this. In everything, in everything, put God first. It might seem I've got to put me first here sometimes. Who's going to watch out for me? God will do it better than you will. Way better than you will. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us. I thank you for that. It's so hard to do these simple, simple, simple things. But help us to keep them in mind and apply them. Let's start today. Let's just, we'll keep a list of what our, what's going out so we'll know how to budget of what's going out. And, and, and it's, instead of making it all about me, Father, I want to make it about you in my finances. Grant me the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing.